Amen. Hey, just to give you a little bit of extra time as you turn to page one, in case you need it, that's right. We are once again on World Religions, Cults, and the Occult, okay? And as you can see there on page one, uh, we're still in the exciting section. The first part, it's called introduction, that's right. How many guys realize that introductions sometimes take a little while? Yeah, praise God. We're going to get there. I think we're going to, Orson, do you think we'll make it to page two? See, man of faith right there on the sixth row, right there. But anyway, that's right. Uh, introduction is where we're at. And eventually, if we can make it past the introduction, maybe the rapture will happen first. Okay. Uh, but uh, we'll get to Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, New Age, Roman Catholicism, uh, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, Christian Science, Scientology, Oneness, Pentecostalism, Freemasonry, and the occult. Now, what we saw the last couple times was the big question, how in the world did this happen? If there truly is only one way to heaven, and there is, I didn't say it, God did, Jesus, John 14, 6, Jesus is the only way to heaven. How in the world did we end up with so many different false teachings, false teachers, religions, false religions on the planet? And they keep cropping up. Well, it's because, once again, as we saw in our text, the enemy uh, is holding people sway by his power, if you will, the scripture talks about. And he does that. He grabs their mind. What's the scripture say? The little God, little G, Satan of this world, blinds the minds of those who do not believe. There's only one way. Why don't they believe it? Because they're blinded. Why? Because of the enemy lies to them, and he keeps them away. If there's one book on the planet he wants people to stay out of, even Christians, even churches who don't preach it anymore. Satan's very happy with that. It's the Bible. Because the Bible is the only book on the planet that tells us the truth. And nothing but the truth. The whole truth, okay? And that's why he doesn't want us in there. Plus, when people, you may have a copy of the Bible, but you don't touch it, you don't pick it up, okay? You're still going to be vulnerable to be lied to, right? The Bible is the only book on the planet that unbrainwashes us from the brainwashing we receive from this world. This is the way out. Exodus means the, the way out. Get into the Bible, get you the way out of all the lies and the messes in this world. And that's what we saw the last couple of weeks. The problem is with people is they have different sources of truth. Okay, as we're going to see tonight, if as a Christian, your only source of truth should be and only should be the Bible. And if you stick with the Bible, you'd be perfectly fine. Okay, but even Christians don't do that. And so that's why you get false teachings and false teachers even in the church. But now we're at the bottom there where it says stats on world religions and the cults, all right? Now, as a segue to get into that, let's take a look about this Bible. And you say, well, maybe the reason why there's so many different cults and occults and false teachings, false teachers, and false religions is because people just don't have a Bible. No, that's not the issue. Listen to these stats. Among households which own a Bible, in America anyway, the typical count is three Bibles per household, right? Because if you're a girl, you can't just have a Bible. You got to have the one with the pink cover, and if you're a boy, you can't have just a, a Bible. You got to have the one with the camo cover, right? And if you're a teenager, you got to have the teen Bible. You gotta, have you noticed how it's been marketed to just look cool? God doesn't want you to think the Bible looks cool. He wants you in it, okay? But that's what's going on today. So people end up with a bunch. Or in case your house gets robbed at night, right, and you can't find your 357. Sorry, Robert, I spilled the beans. <laughs> you guys are packing, man. What's going on? But anyway, uh, right, you can't find our baseball bat or whatever. What are you going to do? <sighs> Never fear. The family Bible is here. The giant Bible that's on the coffee table. Now, nobody ever reads it. It collects five pounds of dust, right? But just in case you need it to smack somebody in the head, that 90-pound Bible is there for you to... It's more like for decoration. They put on the mantle. So people have lots of Bibles. Unfortunately, they don't get into them. 
Okay, and that's the problem, okay? Almost every household in America, 92% owns at least one copy of the Bible, Christian Bible, and this includes most homes, listen, in which adults are not practicing Christians as well as homes of hundreds of thousands of atheists. So even atheists have a Bible. It's just, it's literature, it's a historical thing, right? Now, it's because, so a Bible, just having one doesn't keep you from error. You got to get into it. Right? You've got to read it, okay? And that's what we're doing. Now, because Christians, everybody's got a Bible, sometimes they've got as many as three on average per household, but nobody gets into it, you end up with these kind of beliefs, right? 80% of Christians, these are Christians, 80% of Christians right now say the Bible teaches, quote, that God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. Excuse me? I'm, I'm in the um, uh, minor prophets now, finishing through the major prophets in uh, my time with the Lord. And man, if there's one thing you want to be a repeated lesson over and over again, it's when you are self-reliant. When you don't inquire of the Lord, when you don't seek his help, when you seek man's help, God doesn't like it. So to say that God helps those who help themselves, what? That's crazy, okay? 12% of professing Christians say that the name of Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. Wow. <laughs> 49% says that the Bible teaches that money is the root of all evil. How many of you guys heard that? That's not scriptural. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Who's the author of evil? Satan, right? Okay, 50% of Christians say there is no absolute truth, and 55% of Christians says this book, the Bible, has errors in it. What? Then why should we listen to it? Okay, and there's no absolute truth? You just make it up as you go? When God says something, maybe yeah, maybe no. Half, that means one out of every two Christian you meet, that's their attitude towards the Bible. They may have a copy of the Bible. They may even open the Bible. They may even read the Bible, but their attitude towards it is, ah, take it or leave it. They don't stand on it. They don't say, thus saith the Lord, stick with it. I can't be led astray. And you wonder why there's so much false teaching. 47% don't have commitment to the Christian faith as a top priority. 58% don't have being active in a local church as their top goal in life. 35% of Christians say that to get by in life these days, sometimes you got to bend the rules for your own benefit. That's a Christian's line. Now listen to this. Now, how's this all messed up? Well, people got plenty of Bibles. Hey, people go to church services. I mean, that saves you, right? No, going to a church service doesn't save you any more than a cow sitting in a barn. I got rid of that chicken one. I was, I was, you know, yeah, I fixed it. I fixed it. That's right. But, anyway. but uh, what happens, okay, is it might go to church service, but now the, because the apostasy is so bad, just because you go to a church service, even as a born-again Christian, doesn't mean you're getting the Bible. Do you realize that? So you're sitting there week after week, and what are you getting? A bunch of barf, a bunch of fluff, a bunch of candy-coated stuff. You're not getting the Bible. So you never get equipped. So guess what? You are being put in a position to be duped and lied to and to go along with false teaching because you're not being taught. Now, here's the stat. This is really creepy. 49%, this is the latest stat I came across, 49% of pastors do not, they do not have a biblical worldview. Do you realize that? On average, across America, if you go to a church services, one out of two, every other one you go to, the pastor does not have a biblical worldview. And if the pastor does not have a biblical worldview, what in the world are you getting from the pulpit? You're not getting the biblical worldview. One out of every two. Isn't that crazy? Which has led to this stat. Listen to this. It spills downhill. Did you notice that? Right? 93% of professing Christians in the United States right now do not have a biblical worldview. That's a serious, sad state of affairs, right? 
Now, because of that, okay, what's our guard against error? How do we know that, hey, that's a false religion, that's a false teaching, that's a false teacher, get out of here, get away from that, don't touch that, is when you have a biblical worldview. How are you going to get a biblical worldview? When you yourself actually, Christian, every day get into the Bible and or you're sitting in a church that will actually teach you the Bible, then you're okay. You're spotted a mile away, right? I don't have to know which one of you went over here tonight on the way to Bible study and ate a Kentucky Fried Chicken. I could smell it a mile away. I won't look over there anymore. No, <laughs> no, no, right? But it's the same thing. We can spot it, right? But listen, today, Christians own at least three copies of the Bible. They don't get into it. Churches don't even preach the Bible. So why are we seeing such a massive rise of this? Because people are getting away. What's the one book that Satan does not want you in? Right here. You need to stick to the Bible, okay? So that's, that's kind of the reason why. Now, let's go into the status there at the bottom, the status of world religions and the cults. That's the problem. That's why they're flourishing. Let's take a look at their statistics. The number of adherents to main world religions are either declining or remaining stable, okay? Now, there's a couple exceptions. The first one here is Islam. And then we're going to see on page two, that's right, give it up for Orson, the prayer warrior, because I think we're going to get there. Page two uh, you're going to see it is the Christian cults, pseudo-Christian cults. Those are on the rise, big time. But Islam, okay, is experiencing growth due to high birth rate among third world countries and the intense cultural pressure to remain a Muslim. Can I translate that for you? Intense cultural pressure to remain a Muslim. We will kill you. That's your intense cultural pressure. Okay. Right? And you're gonna, we're going to see, Lord willing, start at 5,322, if we can make it past the introduction, uh, that that is a characteristic of a cult. One of the things that the cults do is the people, even though if they get confronted with the biblical Christian or they stumble across a real copy of the real Bible or somehow get confronted with that or across a website, and they, they start to find out and question their belief system, and something's going wrong, wrong, then that's what they do. They strike them with fear. They you know, sit there like Jehovah's Witnesses. You'll be disfellowshipped, right? They will literally shut you off, and they command your family, if your family, not just people who sit in a pew with you, but your family to shut you off. And that's, that scares people. Most people don't want to do that, right? Or they'll threaten you with eternal damnation, right? And then Mormons, we'll get into that one point. One of the things, they actually have a, a, a doctrine, a teaching, believe it or not, still in effect today, believe it or not. They don't tell you this when they come knocking at the door, but it's called blood atonement. And that uh, somebody who walks away becomes an apostate who walks away from Mormonism, they teach still to this day that there's only one way to atone for that person's sin of walking away from the Mormon church. You know what it is? They have to, you have to kill them and spill their own blood so their blood atones for that sin. Wait till we get to that, folks. They never tell you this when they come knock at the door. And then when you start getting equipped, and we start getting equipped with this truth in the world religions, the cults, and the occult, it makes you sick to your stomach when you see commercials on TV or political pundits or other people or other Christians say, well, Mormons are Christians too. <laughs> what? You must be one of those with all due respect. Or let me guess, what church you go to? Is it one of those? Something's wrong there. Something's horribly wrong, and that's why we're doing the study. But the world Muslim population is expected to increase about 35% in the next 20 years, from 1.6 billion in 2010 to 2.2 billion by 2030. Uh, the forecast is to grow about twice the rate as the non-Muslim population. Did you catch that? 
They're growing twice as fast as anybody else. If current trends continue, Muslims will make up 26.4% of the world's total population by 2030. So that's over one out of every four people on the whole planet will be a Muslim by 2030. Isn't that wild? In the United States, the population projections show that the number of Muslims are more than doubling over the next two decades in large part of immigration. Aren't you glad that our government has a tight control on Hey, I got to be sarcastic once in a while, right? And because of the higher than average fertility among Muslims, Mormons do the same thing, right? Have big giant families. Muslims do the same thing and they'll get you one way or another. They'll invade your country one another literally over a couple generations. And that's what's happening by 2030 over one fourth of our planet will be Muslim just by statistics. Absolutely. From, um, uh, making Muslims roughly as numerous as Jews in the United States today. The United States is projected to have a larger number of Muslims by 2030 than any European countries other than Russia and France by 2030. They're growing massively, okay? So what we need to do is freak out and hide. No, what do you got to do? You need to get equipped, as we're going to see if we get that far on page two. Give it up for Orson because we're turning the page. He's the man. That's right. Okay, uh, turn the page. Go ahead. I did mine. You can feel good about it. I do. I just about burnt my finger from all the friction from the wind, and I can't believe it. I haven't used this finger in a long time. But, anyway, but uh, well, that's what's going to happen, uh, is they're going to continue to grow at such a rapid rate. But guess what? Do you want to reduce that number? You want to reduce the number of Mormons? You want to reduce the number of Jehovah's Witnesses? You want, to, you want to reduce the number of false teachers and false teachings in the church? Then witness to them. Witness to them. That's what you're supposed to evangelize, right? To anybody. You, you want to get the crime to go down in Vegas? You want to stop all the breaking? Witness to them. By the Spirit of God, save them. Right? We don't do the saving. We share the gospel. But God saves them. That's how you make a difference in your community. That's how you get the pop. You want to turn the populations around? You know, part of me wants to say, go have babies. No, you know, get out there and witness, right? Hey, you know, I noticed that most of the more mature ladies were very adamant. No. But younger ladies, you know, let's just move on. Okay, page two. Top of page two. Right? Christian cults, though. Christian cults are experiencing growth. I had to pause there to reflect. That's our first blank. Growth, right? Christian cults are experiencing growth. This should not be surprising. I love this. As it is prophesied in 2 Timothy that such would what? Such would occur. Now, where do we find that out? Oh, that's right. It's the Bible. Let's quote that passage. For the time will come, and the context of this passage is in the last days. How do you know you're in the last days? A time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, we saw this many times before in our final countdown study in the rise of apostasy, but the word there, tickling, is kenetho in the Greek. It means only pleasant things. The word there, myths, is muthos. It means stories made up. So stir it up the, all together. What, what's the big sign? Not just earthquakes and famines and pestilence and wars and rumors of wars and the Jewish people and all that stuff that's going on with that. What's a major, big, mega sign that you're in that generation you live in the last days when you see not in the world in the church because that's the context when you see in the church about the only thing you get from the pulpit is pleasant things and stories made up there's your number that's a sign we're in the last days but listen to what that see we say oh that's a sign we're in the last days we're in the last days. and that's correct but there's a horrible side effect to that what it does is because the truth which is the only thing you counter air from and you protect yourself 
your country, your neighborhood, your family, your church from error because it's not being preached. These guys flourish big time. That's the only, why they, the only reason why they flourish because we're not out there combating them with the truth. The truth will set you free. But if you don't know the truth, you can be duped. Hey, that almost rhymes. Put that on a shirt, Chris. Do something with that. Uh, but anyway, it says this. Now, one noted cult research observed, listen to this, I love this, that the cults, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, we'll get on to that, are the unpaid bills of the church. Isn't that good? That really is the truth. The unpaid bills of the church. The church has failed to doctrinally train its members. It has failed to make real moral difference in the lives of its members. Hey, listen, if it's come one, come all, free for all, and nobody ever preaches the Bible, and you certainly don't talk about sin and repentance and God's wrath and, and all that stuff, nobody ever gets convicted of sin. So guess what? They start living in sin, and it's just what? So guess what? In, the morality in the church is just as bad as the world. There's no difference. And yet even the world knows that Christians, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't act like that. You shouldn't speak like that. You shouldn't live like that. But hey, you go to a church service and it's just nothing. Nothing but fluff. There's no moral difference, okay, is another reason. It has failed to meet people's deepest needs. It's failed to provide people with a sense of belonging, this is what, I don't know about you guys, but I seriously appreciate the time we have here at Sunrise when by and large there is great joy, there is great unity and harmony in this church. This is awesome. And it's not just fun to experience and be a part of, but it is a great witness. Because again, even the world knows that, right? That when you become a Christian, I mean, when you first got saved and you went to that first church service, didn't you have some basic born again, brand new baby believer assumptions? Right? You go to a church and everybody's what? everybody's nice everybody loves me everybody loves each other everybody's so happy to see me and it doesn't matter where i sit <laughs> yeah right and then how many of you took a one week two weeks one month whatever you're you got popped the little bubble right it's like man i tell you what you're over in the corner and they're staring at you right i'll kid you I, i've said this before but uh, in our discipleship studies but uh, when brandy and i uh, when, it was more when I, a time when I was speaking full-time with uh, Get a Life, and I wasn't pastor. I was in between pastors. And anyway, so I was back in town, and, and so we were, uh, obviously, you know, I'm a Christian just like anybody else, uh, needed uh, a home church to go to. So we found one, and man, the pastor was really good, really appreciated. And this was in uh, Northern California, and it was awesome. And, but nobody, nobody would say hi to us. I mean, nothing. And it's like, well, okay, maybe they're just taking a little bit to warm up. We come the next week, right? And nothing. I mean, nothing. I mean, you get, I mean, and it was packed. The place was packed. And it was actually hard to find a seat. So you think somebody, if you bumped into them, they'd look at you. Nobody said nothing. This went on, and probably about the fourth and fifth week, we were like, <laughs> <laughs> I burst my teeth. I took a shower. I did, I did change my shirt. What? And, and then it started to become funny. And we, so then we would go, because we loved the pastor. It was great teaching. But it was just like, okay, they're going to turn around and say, ah, ha, ha, we fooled you, we fooled you. But we went there for like three months and never once did anybody say hi to us. It was crazy. And I sat there, and I would like to think as a more mature Christian, I could take it, yeah, whatever. But it broke my heart. I'm going, how many brand new people or how many people who were curious about Christ, maybe not even be born again, but they do show up. That does happen. And that church was so stinking cold. You know what they're going to do? They're going to look for that fellowship elsewhere. And you know who's going to provide it? The Colts unpaid bills of the church right how many times i used to witness to a guy and he says he uh, uh back in the day he was led towards the mormons you know why mormons jehovah's witness do, do the same thing they are good at meeting people's needs 
and they do that to suck them in, right? And, and so people, I remember, I, maybe you've run into this. Have you witnessed to somebody who, who was, uh, you're trying to steer them away from Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, and you're trying to say, hey, man, look, don't get involved there. Don't go there. That's a cult. Then don't do that, whatever. And you can't tell me they're not Christians because when I moved to town, nobody helped me. These people came, and I, this one guy, they bought his whole house full of furniture because he got transferred to the community. They bought him a fridge. It did this. Do you need help finding a job? And they did all that stuff. See, that's what... Christians are supposed to do. And the world knows that, and the enemy knows that. So he takes these pseudo-Christians, gets them to act more Christian than real Christians, and people get duped into it. The unpaid bills of the church is what he talks. Failed to meet their needs, okay, a sense of belonging. The failure of the church is wide and deep, and has made it easy for the cults to flourish, okay? Because we're too busy nowadays in the church because of the lie of the church growth movement, which is to produce this apostasy, not to have numerical growth. My job as a pastor, uh, and it's not a job, it's a ministry, okay, is to get you equipped. It's for you to spiritually grow. I am to discharge God's word so that we can grow, to equip the saints. Why? So the pastor can do everything. Oh, I'm sorry. No, so the deacons to do it all. No, so that the church can go out there and serve and get equipped to serve, right? Exactly, but that's what we're supposed to do, to come and grow spiritually. Now, which means the numbers don't come first. You don't put numbers first. Now, if you grow spiritually and you're out there witnessing, the numbers do come because people get saved and things of that nature. But what's happening in the church today is it's all about numerical growth at the expense of truth, okay? And what's happened is you're getting a lot of people coming to your church, but you're creating what one guy, I love this uh, phrase, and uh, I've shared it before, but it's called the McChurch. Are you familiar with that? Here's what you're getting basically from most places today. It's called the McChurch. Listen to this. He says, our culture demands convenience Christianity. We want it short, simple, fast, and cheap. The McBible does not have the tedious 66 books, but just a few short sentences and simple words at a fifth grade level. And the McWorship service is all sweetness and love and nothing offensive. The McSermon is easily digested with a minimum amount of nutrition and a maximum amount of fat. And each McPrayer is centered on temporal and material things to keep the mind from wandering to the spiritual, which is often elusive for the modern American. Uh, now, to keep the kids awake, we got McHymns that are in hip-hop style. McMarriages are performed by folks who like those quickie relationships and throwaway vows. They're a very big feature. The McPastor, yeah, he's a touchy-feely guy who majored in pop psychology, and he has an in-depth understanding of your every felt need. And McSins, we just call them boo-boos, right? And they're easily forgiven with fast prayers and, of course, soon repeated, but not that big of a deal. Uh, you eliminate all the negative, you dwell only on the positive, and the McYouth program is short on Bible study and long on fun and games. It's, it's designed to give kids uh, what they want so their parents can go out and have fun in the evenings without their kids worrying about getting into drugs or sex. And, and McSalvation, uh, it, it does not have any deep doctrine of substitutionary atonement and regeneration, but a simple human decision or a nod of the head is more than adequate <clears throat> to bring a person into the McKingdom where he hopes to live happily ever after. And all this, of course, ends up in McHeaven, where there is no golden streets. But listen, there's the arches that appear over a broad entrance, where the grill is scorching and the deep fry grease is super hot. I've said this so many times, and it gets me. You got to, yeah, you, you put numbers first. And you did everything right, according to the world, according to the enemy, which aided into the apostasy. You didn't preach the Bible because nobody likes to be convicted. And your goal was not numerical growth, or not spiritual growth, numerical growth. So you dumbed it down, you preached fluff, fulfilling this passage of Scripture, and you got 5,000 people. Wow. 
but only five were really truly born again. What in the world did you just accomplish? You're going to stand before God. Excuse me, are you trying to encourage people to go to hell? This is not a game. But that's what's going on today, and that's why things are uh, so messed up. The unpaid bills of the church. But, of course, the growth of the cults is also attributable, it says there, to other factors as well. Among other things, the cults are multiplying because the uh, growth of relativism. All right, you guys remember what relativism is? Whatever I believe is true to me, whatever you believe is true to you, and uh, then somehow that becomes true, which is absolutely uh, ridiculous, right? Because if that's where you relegate truth, how in the world do you differentiate between that which is right and which is wrong? Well, you don't. And that's why our country's so messed up, because there is no right and wrong, right? And this is the only book on the planet that gives us what? The truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the book that does not contain errors. It did come from God. God is holy. He does not lie. This is the truth. Now, so this is your standard. So if you keep this as your standard, you'll be stable. Your society will be stable. Your government will be stable. Your ever, everything will be stable. But our society has rejected this book, the Bible, and has supplanted with relativism that whatever you want it to be true goes. Why do you think homosexuality has been passed so easily? Because we've had 30 years in our culture, in our school system of relativism and getting rid of the Bible, Right? So, and so to you and I who have our source of truth based on the Bible, it makes no sense. Well, that's not their source of truth. It's relativism, whatever you want, whatever feels right, whatever feels good. But the danger with that is you have no standard to judge between right and wrong. And man is sinful. If there is no right and wrong, if there is no uh, standard of truth, then what makes the difference between an Adolf Hitler and a Franklin Graham? You have no basis to judge, right? Period. Okay, and then the irony of saying that there are no absolutes, the moment you said there are no absolutes, you just made an absolute statement. It's ridiculous. But this is what our society is based on. Now, you might be at a church, you might own three copies of the Bible, but you might as well believe in relativism if you don't get into the Bible, you don't know the Bible, and listen, you might know the Bible, but you yourself as a Christian don't follow it. You're acting like you're a relativistic a mind person, because I'll take it and leave it. Remember what the stats were I read to you? Those were professing Christians. 50% do not believe in absolute truth, which means one out of every two Christians is relativistic in the thinking. Now, the danger with that is Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's our country, Right? You get to determine what is right and wrong. I like this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, we have come to a turning point in the road. If we turn to the right, maybe our children and our children's children will go that way. But if we turn to the left the wrong way, listen, generations yet unborn will curse our names for having been unfaithful to God and his word. And that's where we're at. That's serious stuff. But this is why they get to, to because you can't sit there and say, oh, Excuse me, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, Muslim, you're wrong because this is the truth. But no, you don't believe that anymore. It's just whatever comes. So, so then you get it into a, a, a playground that's ripe for creating a one world religion where all paths lead to heaven, right? Hey, whatever you believe is true to you, it's true to me. Let's just all come together in love. That's what's prepared away for another Bible prophecy sign of the last day's rise of the one world religion, which did anybody see? What went on last week with the Pope? I'm chomping to show the video, but I did get to show the video in Canada. What are the odds of that? I'm up there. I get to preach on 
guess what my fourth topic was? The Vatican and the one rule religion. And that was on Saturday night. And guess what? Uh, the day before, the Pope is down at 9-11 with all the religions, the major religions of the world, doing an ecumenical one world religion prayer. So guess what I was doing in the hotel room? I already had my sermon ready to go, but I was downloading that video. And it was such a privilege to say, this happened yesterday. Yesterday. Oh, and then Saturday, if you're paying attention, uh, not only that, as I was preaching, I said, oh, that happened yesterday. And you know what they're doing as we sit here? In New York, they're also having the Global Citizen Festival. Global Citizen Festival. Did you see that? You think that's by chance? No, it's not by chance, right? With Beyonce and Coldplay and Bono, who professes to be a Christian, excuse me, that we now need to have a festival celebrating where global citizens after the Pope meets with all the world's religion. Are you? We're in the last days. Let's move on. But relativism, relativism, selfism. Hey, turn to somebody and say, second blank, second blank. Selfism, what I've been preaching on on Sunday mornings for quite some time now. Self, 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 self. Self comes first. What was the fall of Satan? Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. I, 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 I will send, right? I, I. That's where self came from. So you're following in the footsteps of Satan, okay? Subjectivism, right? Whatever you, you feel is your subjective truth, okay? Kind of like relativism. And mysticism, that's a big one too, okay? And that's coming from the church. And a lot of that, unfortunately, comes from uh, much of the charismatic community, okay? I'm not anti-charismatic, but unfortunately, there seems to be a trend Okay, there seems to be a trend where in, if you go to a, a, a much of the hyper-charismatic, it downplays, guess what? Bible, and it plays up what? Emotion and experience. That's not the truth. So you're going there, you might have an experience, but guess what? You're being left in the dark, right? But people do that. Remember the first study, in our, or first or second one, I shared that study about those people, the grave-sucking in the charismatic community, the grave sucking, it's like, how in the world can people even go there? Because what are they seeking? They're seeking experience. They're seeking power. They're seeking self. It's me. It's all about me and how powerful I can. Where's Jesus in all this? When's the last time you actually studied the Bible? What's wrong with studying the Bible? What happened? Since when did that become old? Since when can you not get an experience from this? Right? But that's called mysticism. Right? And the problem is it's based on emotions. It's based on experience. And those things, emotions go up, they go down. They're all over the place. So it's not stable. Okay? But that's what's happening today. Furthermore, rebellion and the breakdown of families have contributed to the increase of cults worldwide. Because again, if there's breakup in the home and they go to a church hoping to find fellowship, but churches are just as much messed up as the rest of the world, and there's cliques and there's, there's division and a bunch of baloney, guess what? They're going to walk out and they're going to look for somewhere else. Why do gangs today have such great popularity? Because that's their family. That's their sense of belonging. That's not even a cult. That's just gang activity. All right? But let's continue on. We're like, indeed, if the Christian church were more zealous, uh-oh, underline those next two words, true evangelism. Right? Not, 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 this, not the fake evangelism. Hey, man, you, you don't want to have a Christless eternity, do you? <laughs> what? What's a crisis eternity mean to a non-Christian? I'm giving you Christianese. This is, this is how some people evangelize. They're already without Christ, and they think they're fine. So what's the big deal? How, does it, how about this? Hey, hey, uh, uh, you don't want to go to hell, do you? See, that's a crisis eternity. Let me translate it for you. But no, you can't say that. It's a silent H word. Have you noticed that when you talk about hell, it's, it's a little sting? It's supposed to sting. It's supposed to scare you. 
It's a scary place. That's why Jesus talked about it twice as much as he ever did about heaven, because he loved people enough to tell them the truth. Don't go there. Please don't go there. Please don't go there. Right? Or, you know, some people say, I'll tell you what. Um, um, don't you want to go to heaven? Yeah? I, pretty much 99% of the population, except for your adamant atheist, wants to go to heaven. Is that sharing the gospel? No? What's the alternative? It isn't just, oh, he didn't go to heaven. If he didn't go to heaven, where'd you go? Hell, what's wrong with saying hell? It's like if one guy says, oh, I don't want to scare him off, right? If I talk about hell, where are you going to scare him off to? Hell number two, right? True evangelism. You got to let people know there's only one way. Yes, it's not popular today, especially with the rise of the one world religion and relativism. But listen, this is the truth. This is heaven and hell on the line. This is serious. True evangelism. You love people enough to tell them the truth. You don't have to beat them over the head and say, hell, 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 hell. It's usually not a good technique. But don't go to the other end extreme and just do all these flowery Christianese words that doesn't mean nothing and it never penetrates the heart because it's not scriptural. You gotta tell them the truth, okay? Indeed, if we were more zealous in true evangelism, the world would have less cultic proselytizing. In other words, they wouldn't flourish so much, would they? Because guess what? They're born again Christian. And as a born again Christian, when you become a Christian, you need to get discipled, discipline learners. That's why we had, what, two years of discipleship 101, discipleship 102, followed up with another one with intro to apologetics, defenders of the faith. And now we're here. Why? So we can grow strong. That's basic Christianity. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Many times you will get phone calls, whatever. We get visitors from around the United States. Man, this is, oh, you guys are so lucky and fortunate. And it's just like, listen, how'd you do? How'd you, what, uh, this is just basic Christianity. This is just what the, what the norm used to be 20 years ago. It's nothing special. But it seems special now because it's in the minority. Right? And that's what you get. But we need to get there uh, into the truth. All these quotes come from those guys. Now, wait a second. How do you, how do you reconcile 2 Timothy 4, 3-4 with God's sovereignty? Okay, and he's going to quote some uh, passages of God's sovereignty here. I know that you, God, can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not depend on man who wills, the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you that my name might be proclaimed to the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and hardens whom he desires. The Lord has made everything for its own purpose. Listen, even the wicked for the day of evil. You know what that means? Did you know that Satan is not a loose cannon on deck? Did you know that Satan is not the one who's in control of the seven-year tribulation? Satan is on a short leash. He only gets to do what God allows him to do, both now and even in the seven-year tribulation. In fact, God is so powerful, he will even use something evil. He's not the author of evil, but he'll even use something evil, Satan, for something good. God is the one who is sovereign and in control. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath, to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand. Okay, Why, how do you reconcile this? A man doing this, does it mean like God's out of control? He's got his hands tied, he can't stop these Mormons and, and these other false teachers? And oh, No, God is sovereign. But this is the price of having a relationship, as we saw before, in our walk with God. If you're going to have a relationship with God, a true relationship, then you have to be able to make a choice, right? We used the analogy before. Uh, my children, Rebecca and Billy, uh, they came from me. 
by all respect, they should love me as their father. They are dependent upon me for their existence. They're dependent upon me for their substance, right? Okay, uh, so guess what? They should, by all rights, love me. But at what point does it become a true loving relationship? I could say you have to love me. I could say you for, I could show them both their birth certificate. <laughs> How many parents have ever been tempted to do that? You know what I'm saying there? I was there that day, man, you little thing, you. Right? So, right? But at what point does it become a relationship? When they choose of their own will to say, I love you in return. So if you're going to have a true relationship, you have to have a choice. If it's a true choice, then it has to be a true choice, which means you need to not only have the ability to say yes, but the ability to say no. God is always in control, and his hands are not tied behind his back. But if anything, nobody's going to stand before God and say, God, I just didn't have enough information. Excuse me? You had three copies of my word in your house. How many Christians did I send in your entire lifetime across you? How many times did you go into those? Granted, it was on the decline in the last days. But how many times did you go into church service and you heard that gospel? But you refused to respond. In fact, you had the truth right here. You could have said yes to how many times? But you chose to become a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness, or an atheist, or whatever. You chose not to love me. I did all the work for you. I made it as easy as you can get. Right? You're responsible. That's the price if you're going to have a relationship. If you're going to have a relationship, you have to... God's fully sovereign. He's always sovereign. But if you're going to have that relationship, you have to be able to choose not just yes, choose no. Unfortunately, what's the Scripture say? The bulk of our planet, listen, you got the many... Versus the few. According to Jesus, most people choose not. Oh, we'd like to think that the, the biblical picture is only a few find it. They choose the bad path on purpose. They're responsible for it. Let's continue on. World uh, cults now comparison with biblical Christianity. Now, what we're going to see is we're going to see five, if I can get them up here, Five, let's try over here. We're going to see five ways that if you just stick to these five things, okay, there's other issues that they get off on, but if you get, these are like the, the foundations, right? You get these right, you got something to hang your uh, uh, meat on, okay, and you can stay true, okay, and that's what we're going to talk about here. Now, the important point to focus on witnessing these guys and know, how do we know if somebody's in error? How do we know it's a cult? How do we know it's false teaching? Well, it's these five things. Number one, the source of authority, right? You got authority, and of course, can you guess what that is? Bible. That's right, whoever said that. It's the Bible. Now, the second one we're going to see is the nature of God, right? And again, where do you find out the correct nature of God? Hey, I almost said the fake voice, but get it for Joey over there. He got it right, okay? Number three, the person and work of who? Jesus, right? And where do you find that out? Bible. The nature of man, okay? And the man. And then, of course, what's the last one there? Salvation. Okay, is a salvation, the means of salvation. Obviously, there's other areas that they get off on, but listen, here's the point. These others are secondary issues will fall into place if the first five are correct, right? So if you stick to these five and all of them hinge on the first one, the source of truth. What is your source of truth? The Bible. If you stick to the Bible, nothing but the Bible, everything else falls into place. Once again, what does that tell you? You get out of the Bible What's eventually going to happen to you sooner or later? You're going into air. You push it far enough, you get into a cold. That's where it comes from. You get out 
of the Bible. Now, number one, source of authority. The Bible is composed of 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament. Constitutes God's only, underwrite that, underline that, God's only written revelation to mankind. You mean to tell me when brother or sister so-and-so came up to me and said, God gave me a word to tell you. And of course, you've got to make it sound like a goat because that makes it spiritual. Yeah, God told me. You've been there, you know, you're just scared. But anyway, let's move on. Oh, no, I won't. Yeah, you'll see a goat on Sunday, right, Ken? Yeah, never mind, let's move on. All right, so anyway, uh, but right, and you mean to tell me that... The, one of the most dangerous statements we saw before. God told me I had this, or I had this experience, or I had this, or God to cry. With all due respect, hey, love you, but I'll, I'll stick to the Bible. Thank you. And then people who even do that say, oh, I lined it up with God's word. You know what the experience is? No, you don't. You choose your experience 99.999% of the time over the Bible. But anyway, so you, that's God's only written revelation to mankind. It's inspired, verbal, meaning the very words, plenary, including all the words, infallible, trustworthy, in the original manuscripts. Inspiration refers to God breathing the scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16. God is the source of scripture. This is not a man-made document, okay? As such, scripture takes on its qualities of inerrancy and infallibility without error and trustworthy. God superintended, i.e. he moved the human authors so that using their own individual personalities, they were composed and recorded without error the words of the original autographs, his only revelation to mankind. Notice again, his only revelation of man time. I, I've said this, and we might get to this later in the charismatic more section of our study. If you really think that that is a word from God, quote, a actual word from God, if you really believe that, that that God literally told you that, then we better start recording that. How dare you do injustice to the church and the Christian community and church history? We need to have a new, new testament. Think about it. If this is the words from God, that's what these are, right? Then we better write, write it down. Well, you know, they never do that. Here's the problem. When you go that route, did you know what? You just lost all basis to witness to the cults, certainly with the Mormons, because what is their basis, their belief? We have a new revelation of Jesus Christ because he had an experience by looking into a hat. And this angel called Moron Eye, Moron, Moron Eye, right? Gave him this vision, and he was involved in the occult, and he sacrificed sheep, and he was in the, the witchcraft, and we'll get to that. What? Okay, so that's, that's the problem. Stick to the word of God. Okay, inspiration, extending to the very words, plenary, all the words. This is shown by the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul's statements, usage. Jesus says in every jot, every tittle, right? Everything in here is here, not by chance. It is here uh, from God. Top of the page, scriptures are authoritative and constitute the believer's, believer's sole authority for faith and practice. You know what I've experienced is, is practice? It's not the Bible. Push comes to shove. You know what it is? It's your personal preference, relativistic mindset. It's your peers or your feelings or the way of the crowd, even as Christians, Right? unfortunately, but it's supposed to be our sole authority for faith and practice. Why? Because God blesses obedience. Do you know why God has the, not just the do's, but the don'ts in the scripture? It's to protect us from sin. He's not trying to ruin our life. He's trying to protect us. He loves us. So just do what he says, and you're going to have the best possible life this side of heaven. Not a perfect life that comes later, but if you want to have the best possible life this side of heaven, then do what God says. Treat the Bible as the sole authority. What God says, do it and be blessed. But people play with that, and they mess it up. Only Scripture is perfectly adequate 
for all matters of faith and conduct, for salvation and sanctification or growth and maturity. It is all sufficient in regards to the soul of man in our relationship with God, in our relationship with others. It's the supreme and final authority in all matters and on which it speaks, which includes what we're getting ready to hit, the nature of God, Jesus, man, and salvation. How do you know those things? How do you know you got it right, correct? Stick to the word of God. Again, what's the foundation stone we have to know, we have to stand on and not veer off of if we're not going to get into error? The Bible. Let's do some conviction. When's the last time you really got into it? Did you read it today? How long has it been? Can I tell you, you know why? It's called spiritual warfare. Somebody doesn't want you in there. Because if you're not in there, then he's got you. And he could lie to you, and you'll eat it up like candy. It's the only book on the planet that protects us from the lies of this world. Nature of God, there's only one God. Okay, only one God. Which is why we're going to see with Mormonism, they believe there's many gods that become gods. That's a logical absurdity. God, by definition, is there's only one God. He's supreme. So if there's more than one God, then you're not supreme. Number two, God, by definition, is eternal. He is self-existent, which means he has no beginning. I, typically, in a, in a situation with Mormons, hey, have you had a birthday recently? Yeah, I just celebrated it two months ago. You're not God. Because you celebrated your beginning point. And God doesn't have a beginning. Anyway. Let's move on. There's only one God. He's creator and Lord over everything that exists. He is infinite, is your next blank there. Without limitation, infinite. He's transcendent yet personal, eternal, unchangeable, omnipresent, everywhere present, sovereign, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful. He eternally exists as the triune God, three persons as what? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, keep that in mind. Notice it's not just the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit okay, is what we say. We say literally he is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this is typically one of the big points other than their source of authority. Wonder of wonders, they start getting it wrong with God when it comes to the cults. And almost always it has to do, one of the many ways they get off is on the Trinity. And what they'll do is they'll say, well, excuse me, you mean you got the Father plus the Son plus the Spirit. Well, gee whiz, that equals three. No, it's God the Father times God the Son times God the Spirit mathematically is one. You're looking at it wrong, okay? And there's different analogies, right? Me, I'm a husband, a father, and a son. Which one's not me? The son. No, who said that? I said, right, no. <laughs> us, we're made up of a tripart being, a spirit, soul, and body. Which one's not us? I hate using this, but the egg. You got the shell, you got the yolk, and you got that white stuff they use to patch sheetrock. What's that stuff called? Whatever, but it's all part of the egg. Water, water is the best example I like, or, uh, or the mathematical one, to explain the Trinity. All right, and that's because water, if you leave it alone, it's a what? Liquid. If you if you freeze it, it becomes a solid. If you heat it up, it becomes a vapor. Which one's not water? It's all water, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's only one God, and you have to deal with that because if you stick with the Bible, what's the Bible say? Genesis one twenty six. Let us. Who's us? Elohim is plural. Who's that? First chapter of the Bible. You got to deal with the doctrine of the Trinity. There's not three gods, there's only one God. But he's presented himself as the us in plural, i.e. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus' baptism, who's present? God the Father from the sky, Jesus the Son right there, and then God the Holy Spirit lighting down as the dove, all in the same mass time space continuum. It's amazing, you gotta deal with that. And it's there if you just stick with the Bible, okay? But that's where they will go off uh, in that, okay? Each equal having the same attributes and equally worthy of salvation, 
or, or worship, adoration, and faith. Now, Jesus is another one they get off. Jesus, the Christ, is eternal, uncreated, second person of the Trinity. He's eternally one with the Father, incarnated supernaturally. He is the eternal God-man in the incarnation. Jesus surrendered only the prerogatives of deity, listen, but nothing of divine essence. He didn't cease to become God. He's always been God. He's fully God, fully man. That's the way it is, Okay. Philippians chapter 2 says he took on the form of a servant, humbled himself, became obedient even to death uh, on a cross for you and I, right? And, and he had to be, right? He had to be fully God and fully man. Our salvation hinges on this doctrine in the scripture because only God is without sin, right? And we need a sinless savior, a sinless perfect sacrifice. But he had to be fully human because God can't die. But Jesus did die. Do you see the manifold wisdom of God? But you start tweaking it and say, no, Jesus is only God and he's not human. Or he's only human. He's not, you get off base and that's what the cults do. All right, let's continue on. Jesus' birth, sinless life, death, and resurrection are literal historical events. Although right now, 30% of professing Christians say Jesus died, but he never had a physical resurrection. 29% of professing Christians say when he lived on earth, he was human and committed sin like everybody else. That means we're all doomed straight to hell. Which means he's still in the grave and this whole thing's a pipe dream. No, he's God. He's without sin. Okay? And, but again, where do you get this from? How do you know you're getting the right Jesus? The right God? The Bible. That has to be your authority. That's the foundation stone. All right? Uh, let's continue on. He's the eternal God-man in the incarnation. Jesus surrendered uh, only the prerogatives of deity, but not the divine essence, right? And he demonstrated that. On the cross, Scripture says he could have called down 10,000 upon 10,000 angels, but what? He subdued that. That's the definition of meekness. Meekness does not mean weakness. It means subdued strength. Here he is, God in the flesh. And these people are beating him and pounding him and murdering him and putting nails in his feet. And the he could have nuked the whole planet. But Jesus demonstrated meekness subdued strength no i'm gonna finish the job for you isn't that amazing that's the real jesus jesus birth his sinless life literal historical event jesus willingly died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for sin the resurrection jesus confirmed his deity proved that god had accepted his toning sacrifice he's the only mediator the only mediator between God and man. The only way to the Father, i.e. the means of salvation. Now, contrast that, and we'll get to this in greater detail, Lord willing, when we get to Catholicism. But a lot of people, it's not just people coming, hey, you know, Mormons are Christians too. and it's like, Excuse me? But they'll say the same thing with Catholics. Now, I'm not saying everybody that goes to a Catholic church isn't a born-again Christian. Why you're staying there, I have no idea. I don't know the heart. But what I will say is this. Official Catholic teaching is not scriptural. It's a false salvation a works-based salvation you don't believe me here's a real quick quote from pope francis this is from the top he recently spoke to a crowd of 33,000 people saying there is no such thing as do-it-yourself christians or free angels agents listen from the pope it is a dangerous temptation to believe that one can have a personal direct immediate relationship with jesus christ without communion and without mediation of the church i.e the catholic church how can you call that Christianity? That is anathema, that is accursed, that is a false gospel. How could you say they're Christians like the rest of us when the top dog said that? Got a problem with it. Got a major problem with that. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He, I don't need to go through a priest. I don't need to go through a pastor. I don't need to go through nobody. I boldly, through the blood of Jesus Christ, can access the very throne of grace. Isn't that phenomenal? 
That's not what they teach. It's a false teaching. Nature of man, real quick. God created mankind in his image and likeness, sinless with intelligence, self-consciousness, self-determination. By their free will, mankind chose to sin against God. We just saw that. And are therefore under condemnation of physical and spiritual death. Spiritual, right? Because they, they didn't die right on the spot physically, but they did die. Okay? Eventually. And, uh, but spiritually cut off from God. The corruption of sin extends to our aspect, every aspect of human being, our intellect, our conscience, our will, our heart. All people are therefore unable to enter into a personal relationship with God by their own initiative. In other words, you cannot earn your way to heaven. But right now, 25% of, again, professing Christians, 25%, that means, I hope it's not true of Sunrise, that one out of every four people you run into in a given church service says this quote, 25%, it doesn't matter what faith you follow, all paths lead to heaven. Professing Christians, one out of every four. And if that's what you really believe, how can you be born again? Because there's only one way. Oh, where did I get that? Well, that's your interpretation. You're being judged. No, that's from the Bible. That's what I stand on. What in the world are you standing on? Are you listening to the Pope? Have you fallen for the one world religion line? What's going on? Right? Okay, and that's what it says there. Okay, now, follow it up real quick with means of salvation. Salvation is the work of who? God. Okay, he saves individuals from the penalty power and one day, praise God, the presence of sin. It's completely by God, not on the basis of human merit or works. Forgiveness of sins is a free what? Gift. If you could earn it, then it wouldn't be a gift, now would it? Okay. And it makes a, a mishmash of the scripture. That those who are giving it to, uh, to those that repent of their sins, exercise uh, faith in Jesus as Lord okay, uh, and Savior. No pre-forgiveness is your final blank there tonight. No pre-forgiveness work is required. The general rule is this, and this is what you see with the cults. And they'll come knocking at your door and say, oh, and, and they'll say, hey, and you might say something like this. Well, hey, uh, no, listen, I don't need to talk to you because I believe in Jesus. What will they typically follow up with? I believe in Jesus too. And then many people go, oh, really? Well, come on in. No, 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 it's called the veneer. You got to get behind the veneer. Who's your Jesus? Jehovah's Witnesses, keep going, ask questions. Who, they believe in Jesus. They got the wrong Jesus because they're off the scripture. Their Jesus is different. Jehovah's Witnesses, it's the uh, Archangel Michael. Mormons, you believe that Satan is Jesus' spirit brother. You got the wrong Jesus. Okay. You got to get behind that there, but it's only through Jesus. But anyway, but what they typically do on top of that, not only the wrong Jesus, they'll say Jesus, but they'll, they'll add to the gospel, which is not the gospel. The basic rule is this. If anybody comes up to you and says, Jesus and Jesus or Jesus, but that's not the gospel. And that's what they do. They'll say, oh yeah, Jesus, but you got to do this, or you got to stay away from that, or you got to keep this, or you got to add this. You got, that's not the gospel. And that's what he says here. No pre-forgiveness Work is required. It's not Jesus in baptism, Jesus in good deeds, Jesus in obeying the commandments, Jesus in going to church services, or giving money, praying, doing penance, surrendering to an organization, uh, none of that stuff. I shared, uh, when I first year I got here, I'll say this because I'm not here anymore. When I first got back here, and uh, first got here, man, that's the first few months here, right? And, and this uh, a girl had approached me, and she wanted to be baptized. So I did what, you know, uh, I don't know, Whatever, I don't know if it was done, being done before. That's why we started the filter method, Tom. This is one of the experiences that led to that. And uh, rather than say, oh, yeah, sure, let's schedule it up. Are you kidding me? So I'm not taking anybody's word, right? Because I've known from experience, some people think that you get saved by being baptized or going forward or joining the church. That's not, that's not how you get saved. So I began to filter the questions. 
And she didn't know. So I, I said, hey, so basically, let me ask you this question. If you were to die today, on what basis uh, would God let you into heaven? First thing out of her mouth, I'd hesitate me. Well, because I pray, and I, I'm a pretty good person, and my grandmother, she goes to church services, and I'm going. That's not how it is. Now, the thing is, I don't want to fill in the blank too much because then I don't want them to repeat because there's never been a heart change. So I just kind of like, well, no, that's not how it is. And I began to basically witness to her. And so, and then I even, she still wasn't getting it. So I, I, I actually kind of felt guilty. I was like, man, maybe I'm going too far. And I literally kind of explained it to her. The right answers on the test, if you will. And I really kind of felt bad for her. I said, oh, Lord, would you please forgive me if I'm giving her too much info because I don't want her to just repeat and then still not be a Christian. I asked her, so even after giving her all the right answers, I said, and so on what basis would God let you go to heaven? Without missing a beat. It was like I was talking to the wall. Well, I pray, and I'm trying to be a good person. And I said, you know, with all due respect, keep coming to sunrise. Keep sitting here. We'll continue to pray. And uh, I don't think you're ready right now. I said, no, not going to do it. Right? This is eternity online. You have to take this serious. The scriptures declare that nothing can separate the believer from Christ. All true believers are once saved, are kept by God's power. Can anybody say amen? And are always saved. Okay, when a professor of Christ turns away, it shows they never had true salvation in the first place. We've quoted that many times before, uh, John, 1 John 2, 18. They went out from us because they never belonged to us. If they would have belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but they're going to show that none of them never, they didn't belong to us. They were fake, in other words, okay, is, is what we see there. I, when I was in the Canada just uh, recently preaching, a, a lady had come up back there, you mean to tell me, because you know, I was talking about you know, being saved and forevermore. I believe that a person could choose uh, to lose their salvation, that they could walk away. I said, excuse me. I said, with all due respect, could you answer this question? Because what you're spouting is not scriptural because it's God's salvation, not ours. It's a gift from him. When he says eternal, he means eternal. You don't become uneternal. He uses words like born again. When you become born again, how do you become unborn, right? It's very eternal, okay? And praise God it is, right? And if salvation was based upon our behavior, how many of us would ever even get there? None of us, right? It, it would be a pipe dream. But anyway, I says, what you're asking really is, is it's called a, uh, uh, a uh, uh, straw man argument. I says, answer this question to me. So you're saying that you believe that anybody at some point, if they're a Christian, can sit there and say, nope, I'm going to walk away from God and, quote, lose their salvation. Uh-huh. Okay, let me ask you this question right now, man, with all due respect. Right now, right now, as I'm speaking to you on the spot, right here, right now, do you want to renounce your faith in Jesus Christ right now and go burn in hell? Oh, no. I says, that's my point. No true Christian wants that or will do that because we're kept by God's spirit. So it's a straw man uh, argument. I like what one guy said when he says about eternal life. He says, do you realize when God meant eternal life, it's eternal. And he's not going to renege on it, which is good. He says this, God only gives eternal life. There are no abortions in heaven. And how funny it is that Christians say, on the one hand, they don't believe, obviously, in physical abortions, which is good. But on the other hand, they believe in spiritual abortions. The Bible says you can't work your way into heaven. It's a gift from God. But if I can work my way out of heaven, then that's still a works-based salvation. That's not salvation. Think about it. And, and I, I don't even have time to quote the scriptures. That Let me just give you a couple of them. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word, Jesus speaking, believes on him, has eternal life, will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Does that include you? Isn't that a great comfort? Where did I get that? You're just hoping and praying because reality's the Bible. You stick to the Bible, great news, 
good news. And that's not even dealing with this issue of nature of man. Let's be honest with ourselves. If even 0.0000001% of our salvation was based upon our behavior, how many of us would get there? We'd all burn in hell, myself included. It better be 100% or this whole thing's a pipe dream. We'll close with this uh, analogy dealing with this, uh, this truth. Uh, some years ago on a hot uh, summer day in South Florida, a little boy decided to go for a swim. This is a, I told a true story from a newspaper clipping. Went for a swim in the old swimming hole behind his house there in Florida. In a hurry to dive into the cool water, he ran out the back door, leaving behind shoes, socks, shirt as he went. He flew into the water, not realizing that as he swam towards the middle of the lake, an alligator was swimming towards the shore. His mother in the house, looking out the window, saw the two as they got closer and closer together. In utter fear, she ran towards the water, yelling to her son as loudly as she could. Hearing her voice, the little boy became alarmed, made a U-turn to swim back to his mother, but it was too late. Just as he reached her, true story, the alligator reached him. And from the dock, if you can picture this, from the dock, the mother grabbed her little boy by the arms just as the alligator <laughs> grabbed his legs. Then that began an incredible tug-of-war between the two. The alligator was much stronger than the mother, but the mother was much too passionate to let go. A farmer happened to drive by, heard her screams, raced from his truck, took aim, and shot the alligator. Remarkably, after weeks and weeks in the hospital, the little boy survived. His legs were extremely scarred by the vicious attacks of the alligator. And on his arms, listen to this, were deep scratches where his mother's fingernails dug into his flesh in an effort to hang on to the son she loved. The newspaper reported, a reporter who interviewed the boy after the trauma asked if he would show him his scars, and the boy looked at his pant legs, and then with obvious pride, he said to the reporter, but look at my arms. He said, I have great arms on my arms too. I have them, listen, because my mom wouldn't let go. Now listen to this. He says, you and I can identify with that little boy. We have scars too. No, not from an alligator, not anything quite so dramatic, but the scars from a painful past. Some of those scars are unsightly and have caused us deep regret. But some wounds, my friend, are because, listen, God refused to let us go. In the midst of your struggle, he's been there holding on to you like that mom. The scripture teaches that God loves you. If you have Christ in your life, you have become a child of God. He wants to protect you and provide for you in every way. But sometimes we foolishly wade into dangerous situations, don't we? The swimming hole of life is filled with peril. And we forget that the enemy is waiting there to attack. That's when the tug of war begins. And if you have scars of his love on your arms, be very, very grateful. He did not, and the scripture promises, will not let you go. You don't get that from the cults. The cults, by and large, teach you have to somehow hang on. It's all up to you. It's on your shoulders, and it's a horrid, horrid existence. You and I, by sticking to the scripture, have the blessings of knowing that we are saved forevermore, and God will not let us go. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment 
to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says, we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart 
that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.